This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to AHP. Thank you for joining me here for another episode. Now, some good news. Obviously, by the time you guys listen to this podcast episode, uh, it'll probably be already happened by a couple of weeks, but we just had the gun shops open in Western Australia, which is absolutely fantastic. And hopefully we see the gun shops in Queensland and Victoria uh, open up as soon as possible. I think Victoria, unfortunately, is having a, probably the hardest time. Old commie Daniel Andrews down there is really making uh, a big porky of himself down there in, in Victoria, uh, pretty much going against what the, the federal government is saying, which is not surprising from a Labor government. I know duck shooting just started, so a lot of people really want to get it on public land, but obviously they can't. But as far as I'm aware, you can still go close to your home to private property. But, you know, if you're getting out there and you're having fun duck shooting, you know, just know that I'm absolutely jealous if you're able to hunt. I wish I lived in a state that actually had duck hunting. Uh, obviously, we don't in New South Wales. It was banned, same as Queensland and a few other states around the country. So, you know, you guys are so lucky to still have your duck hunting down there. But I've been talking to a lot of guys about, you know, duck hunting in Victoria and making sure we're actually got to try and conserve that moving forward. I mean, there's no doubt that, you know, duck hunting is under threat in Victoria from that Andrews government. I mean, regardless of what people say, for us to be complacent, uh, surrounding duck hunting. I don't think that's a good move. I think we need to make sure we keep pushing forward and keep making sure, you know, we secure duck hunting, you know, in Victoria for the future, not only for us, but obviously our kids and the young shooters coming through. That's something we need to talk about at a later date. If you want to listen to the show, of course, you know, guys, as normal, iTunes, we're on the website, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au, and we are also on Stitcher as well, and the Podbean app. If you just chuck into your favorite search engine, just type in Australian Hunting Podcast, it'll come up. You can listen to it off the website and all those services I just mentioned as well. If you want to be part of Straight Shooting, please give me either a call or give me a message or an email or a Facebook message. Just let me know you want to be on the show, what you want to discuss. We love call-ins or making calls during straight shooting if you don't want to call in live then just send us a voicemail go to that website australianhuntingpodcast.com.au on that right hand side slider bar you'll see the leave voicemail if you click on that you can leave a 90 second message anything you want to talk about send it in a lot of people are sending stuff in and also with justin on my previous straight shooting podcast Totally my fault. Um, I had a person write in. We just—it was actually a really good email. And I'm going to do it on the next show. But he wrote in, and we did a, a whole spiel on this. And this particular email it was fantastic, in my opinion. Uh, and unfortunately, idiot me who paused about after about 15 seconds after we started, uh, forgot to you know press pause again to restart the show and keep recording. So idiot, idiot me. Uh, that's what happens when you get these new uh, mixing desks and you've got you know, heaps of stuff going on at one particular time. You can't really control everything. So we're going to do that again on the next show. So if you've listened to it and you haven't heard your email, uh, listen to the next show and uh, we're going to be discussing that particular email on the show. Because that was a really good one and a real positive one as well and uh, it had a lot there to, to discuss so I'm just sucky that I couldn't work my own mixing desk guys so I'm absolutely sorry about that hope you're taking care of your friends and family during this you know COVID situation I know a lot of us can't get out hunting a lot of us can't get out shooting 
and it's you know starting to weigh on a lot of people, you know, mentally. Some people you wouldn't think you'd have not not they're having issues, but you know it's weighing on them. I'm happy to talk to anyone if you guys need any help or you just need someone to talk to. You know, flick me an email, flick me a uh, Facebook message or Instagram or one of those particular you know social media outlets. Uh, go on the contact on the website, whatever, and I'm happy to have a chat to you guys because yeah, it's all about looking after each other. That's the main thing, and hopefully we can get out, you know, shooting and hunting, you know, as soon as possible. I know probably by the time you listen to this show, just uh, public land hunting in New South Wales was opened up, but you know you can't really travel, so that really puts me out for at least uh, uh, the time being for the next three to four weeks until there's some changes surrounding that because I'm probably two and a half, three hours from any hunting spots. So you can't really travel further than that to these rural towns. So, you know, not much we really can do about it. But I'm looking forward to getting back out there, looking forward to getting the 300 Wimmag uh, sighted in, getting some load testing done, and the same thing for the 7mm Rem Mag as well. A couple of new rifles, which is fantastic. I sold a few, bought a few. So just looking forward to getting back out there. And um, if you haven't checked me out on YouTube, I created a new channel. I've got the the uh, YouTube Australian Hunting Podcast channel just for the podcast and any related associated media such as radio interviews. But if you go to my new uh, YouTube channel, AHP Outdoors, two words, AHP Outdoors, uh, I've just been posting up a few rabbit hunting videos, uh, some long-range shooting videos as well, trying to put in a bit more effort with the editing on that as well. Um, <laughs> that, that's crazy too, editing like that as well. But yeah, it's been a lot of fun getting that, uh, you know, just basically setting my memories in stone that I can look at and look back at and, uh, yeah, think, wow, that was some great times. So check it out, AHP Outdoors. And, of course, if you want to email me for anything, australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, if you want to support me on Patreon, we've got a good groove of Patreon guys now. Anyone listening to the show that supports me on Patreon, you guys are the best. I really, really appreciate your ongoing support. I've had some guys on there now that have been on there for, you know, two years, two and a half years now supporting me from the very beginning. And they were listeners long before I had Patreon as well and uh, have provided content for the show they've called in uh you know and even if they're just patreon supporters and they just keep their heads down and they don't want to say anything man i really appreciate you guys just you know throwing a bit of cash my way and uh continuing to do what we do i mean this is the longest running podcast on hunting shooting and fishing in australia there's no doubt about that I've been going for 10 years now and numbers are good i'm happy i love talking to people and you guys are really enjoying uh, me talking to people overseas. Uh, I've had one person go, oh, you're not interviewing Australian people, but you guys are loving all the content, not only from Australia, but from overseas as well. And that's something I'm going to continue to do. You know, hunting's universal. It's not just for Australians. It's not just for you know, New Zealanders or Canadians or Americans. You know, we all have a love of our hunting, our shooting and our firearms. And uh, I love hearing different perspectives. And it seems that you guys do too. So that's something I'm going to continue in the future. Um, of course, the straight shootings are going to continue as I said previously, I'm keeping the political content out of the normal shows from now on. Uh, just something that I wanted to do for a while now because I don't think it's really beneficial. I'd rather give you more content in the hunting and shooting industry and just leave any of that sort of stuff for the the straight shooting. And um, yeah, just give me a bit of a wide berth from the normal show. So I hope you guys have been enjoying that too. On today's show, I'm talking with my friend actually, Josh Carpenter. He is a big fisherman. He works for a large reel manufacturer here in Sydney. He's part of their uh, tech and servicing department of their reels and uh, does a really good job on, uh, you know, I guess servicing and maintaining and managing all types of uh, reels for this particular company. Won't say who it is yet. If he wants to advise of that, he can. If not, that's totally fine too. But we've been hunting and how we met is a very, very interesting story, which, you know, I think you guys might enjoy. Uh, I'm going to let him tell the story because I want to see if he actually gets it right and see what his uh, interpretation or recollection was 
uh, of us meeting. I won't say where it was, but I think we'll get into the show and it's better for him to discuss it. So uh, we'll bring him onto the show right now. All right, Josh Carpenter, welcome to HP. Thanks for joining me. Actually, probably one of my first mates I've had on the show. Thanks, mate. It's uh, good to be on, Jason. No worries. Tell us about yourself, man. I mean, I know a lot about you. I don't know everything about you. Maybe I might learn something today. So tell us about yourself. Uh, I'm just a pretty regular guy. I've worked in the fishing industry now for about 10 years, been a lifelong fisherman, you know, usual story. Uh, Father, grandfather took me fishing and so I – you know, I've been in fishing since I was a little kid. Uh, live down the south side of Sydney. Uh, took up hunting, oh, I'd say five years ago now, and you know, made some good mates through that. And you know, yeah, just enjoying life. So, what about? Let's talk about the. I know you're big on the fishing first, but let's talk about the hunting. So, um, I don't think you were, you weren't married before when you when you found out you actually wanted to go hunting. You weren't married then, were you? No. No, I, the first sort of seeds, one of my fishing friends is also a Navy guy and he's the president of the hunting club that I'm a member of. And before, you know, I'd done any, he sort of said, oh, hey, have you thought about hunting? You know, have you thought, you know, and I was kind of, I'd always wanted to, but the, the, the firearms thing, you know, it seems like a lot of work to get into it. It's a very, you know, odious task to try and get a firearms license and I was like eh, no, no. I had a, a bow that I got off a friend and so I was arming and ahhing at that time um, but yeah it was actually you know properly getting into it was once I met my now wife. And what did she say when you when you came home? You, you were with her at the time when you wanted to start hunting weren't you like just relationship before marriage yeah? Yeah yeah so when we met she's she's been a shooter for 20 years. She did um, small bore uh, target shooting. Um, so she had been a member of a, a small bore rifle club in the Sutherland Shire for 20 years. She'd been going there since she was 14 years old. Um, she did prone, you know, 50 metre. I think she shot, you know, she shot against Olympians. I think she was, I don't know the gradings, but I think, you know, she was C grade but shot, you know, next to Olympians and uh, she did quite well, but she was the shooter out of the two of us. So she's had a firearms license, you know, since she was a kid. Um, and knowing that, and, and I sort of had that, that inkling to hunt. And I just sort of said to her probably one or two months in, I was like, well, would you ever go hunting? And she immediately said, yeah, for sure. Um, and then I think, bought her a bow for her birthday and we sort of fiddled around with those and we used to, you know, there's an archery range near us. We used to go out and practice with the bows just for something to do of an afternoon. Uh, we did a couple of bow hunting trips and then I realised that uh, bow hunting is the fly fishing of hunting, uh, as in it's not the place you should start. <laughs> <laughs> I can't shoot wanna... a man the best of the times, let alone try and bow hunt the bastards, you know. Oh, I can't. I can't. Yeah, exactly. I can't shoot them at the. They're hard enough to shoot. Like I have full respect of people who can get them with a bow, uh, and maybe I'll take it up in ten, fifteen years when I'm. I've you know shot so many with a rifle that I find it easy. But uh, yeah, I kind of came. Oh, I'd say four or five months into that, thinking, all right, I need to do this with a firearm. It's <laughs> it's pretty tough to do with a bow. I know. I mean, I was thinking about it before when I've interviewed a bunch of bow hunters and 
I said to myself, like, you guys have got, like, my utmost respect because, you know, trying to actually go in and, and you know, hunt and, and stalk in on an animal. I mean, you know, we've hunted together a fair bit and stuff and, mate, I can't see the bastards at the best of times or I'm walking down somewhere and, bang, I turn around and there's one behind me or I'm coming around a corner slowly, I come around the corner and then there's one staring at me. I'm like, how, how do you get so close to – a deer without them seeing you i've been sometimes three four hundred meters from them and i'm like coming up along the side of a edge of a you know like a tree line and then all of a sudden they just, just turn and look up at me i'm like i'm not even making any noise what's happening here i don't know that's what i mean it's it's so in, in, it's hard enough at the best of times uh, like i have the utmost respect and i, and I fiddle around you know trying to get goats and pigs and stuff that would be in inverted commas easier with a bow. Um, but deer hunting for sure, like is, uh, look, again, utmost respect for the guys that do it. And maybe I'll get to it later on. But right now, yeah, I'll stick to, you know, trying to do my best to get them from 100, 100 metres outwards with a rifle. And that's the thing too. I guess we are from – you know, the city as well, you're down south of Sydney, I'm west Sydney, so it's not really we can get out, you know, every single afternoon like some of these lucky guys that live, you know, certain areas where they're able to get out on a regular basis to really put the feet on the ground and sort of get out there and use that bow and try and get them. We probably get out five, six times a year if we're probably lucky, you know? Yeah. Oh, well, look, it'd probably be the reverse if they came down and went fishing next to us you know <laughs> if they went fishing in botany bay i'd probably wipe the floor with them if we went out west hunting they're gonna wipe the floor with you and i yeah that's true man what about when you interesting about family members i mean do you have any other family members that hunt what mum and dad think when you said oh i'm buying my first because what, what was the first gun you bought was that the 243 or no yeah it was a 243 or like i didn't you know Again, meeting my wife, uh, if it wasn't for her, I don't think I'd have got through the the firearms license process. Like it was long and, you know, you had to keep going and doing all of it. So that was the first rifle I bought. But as far as family, my mother's side is all farmers out from Gunnedah, Bogabri kind of way. So they all grew up with, you know, firearms on the farm for, you know, pest control for you know, just farm use. So they're used to it. And dad's a Vietnam vet, so he's seen his fair share of firearms as well and and not scared of them. They're not hunters themselves. Um, They're more into the fishing side of things, obviously dad. Um, But they knew me and they were – it was just a natural progression to them like, oh, okay, you you know, you've done the fishing thing and now you can do the hunting thing. So nothing – no pushback there. And then my brother's been – pig hunting with his brother-in-law with dogs uh, a few times and same thing, you know. So they're, they're all fine with it. And then my sister's vegan, so no. <laughs> the sister's a vegan, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but she's fine. Like, yeah, a lot of Miller's vegan, but, yeah, she's a – What does she say she, when you said, oh, you know, I've smashed a couple of deer and, you know, it's bring home the meat and what, what she say or you just don't talk about it? Oh, I just don't talk about it. <laughs> There's no <laughs> point starting arguments over dinner. <laughs> oh, man, classic. Um, anyway, guys, we're going to go to a, a quick break and we'll be right back. 
The new Zeiss Conquest V4 line of high-performance rifle scopes combines tried-and-true Zeiss optics with a rugged and functional design, providing high-definition glass. Enhanced with T-Star and low-to-tech protective lens coatings produces 90% of the eye light transmission. This means excellent low-light performance and resolution across the entire magnification range. Zeiss Conquest V4 rifle scopes were designed as a lightweight, high-performance scope for demanding hunting and shooting applications. Visit O. USAAustralia.com.au to find your local dealer. Zeiss, we make it visible. Mate, how's that uh, 22 going? I sold you as well. I know. Uh, I didn't think you'd want that 22. Tell them about that and have you been enjoying it? I really enjoyed it. Uh, like, uh, I sold it. Uh, I sold the idea to my wife as, like, well, we can, you know, we can take this up to the small ball you know, rifle range and, and we can shoot it. See, my wife's a hairdresser and and having done prone shooting uh, for 20 years, the way that you have to have the rifle slung and mounted, like, and sitting on your wrist, uh, started to hurt her wrist too much. So I said, oh, we'll, we'll get this and we'll use it for, for bench instead. So funnily enough, she actually sighted it in and shot it before I did. <laughs> and then I shot it straight after. We went up and we did two rounds each because they have a, a Saturday or Sunday morning uh, comp shoot up there um but she enjoyed it no it's great like uh, i love it i put one of those scopes on that you recommended that you know for the money they're amazing um no shot straight shot perfect you know straight away but haven't really used it much since because i haven't been back to the forest yet that was right at the start of summer and the way i usually do things is i'll fish through summer and then hunt through winter um mostly because i don't really enjoy fishing that much during the middle of winter and you know i enjoy being in the forest and obviously the deer hunting's better through winter so it's been a bit of a safe queen probably for the last well, let's say four months i was hoping to get it out but all this corona stuff's put a bit of a slowdown on that i know when i was looking at um selling it only reason i sold it most guys ask me why well, why'd you sell the 455 and i said well I only sold it because I wanted to get the the four five seven, you know. And I thought, well, you know, I knew you were looking for a twenty two, but it is the heavy barreled, um, you know, varmint version of the twenty two. I think it's in a manners stock. I think it is. I can't remember which one it is, but you know, it's a good little twenty inch barrel threaded. If you, I mean, what are you going? We can't thread suppressors on the bastard, which would be nice. But mm, you know, that, that, that was shooting really good with the Federal Hunter match. I don't know what you're shooting out of it right now, but. Uh, that's a tip for you, by the way. So that way you can you know, shoot what works out of that thing when you actually go hunting, when we can, when we can actually go hunting. Yeah, I was going to say I've only shot the CCI out of it so far because uh, we can't use high-velocity ammo at the club. Yeah, they um, shoot good too, that one, actually. Yeah, yeah. You, after we shot it, you you sent me a message and said, oh, by the way, the CCI works well. And I was like, excellent. I've got two bricks of that in the, the safe, so <laughs> we're good for that for a while. That's what my wife used to shoot anyway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't wait to get out and give the. I haven't even. That's. I mean, I bought the CZ four five seven probably not long after I sold that to you, maybe a month or so. And I've have, I've shot a couple of rounds out of it because when I went to Queensland, I put the. I think I brought one of the uh, stocks with the raised cheekpiece, and I had like low ring, so I couldn't use the cheekpiece, and it was a nightmare. And I pretty much haven't even shot it since Christmas. Like I <laughs> haven't even done any load testing or load development on that bloody thing. So. 
you've been through all of it. You had the fires through Christmas, and then now you've got the coronavirus. Oh, it's been a sh- it's been a pain in the ass. Oh, twenty twenty so far. I think we just need to like totally write off twenty twenty straight off the calendar, head into twenty twenty one, and then forget all this stuff. I mean, how bad can you get, right? I know, and I won't mention the forest. I mean, I've made a video about it. So some people still know anyway, but you know, I, I was in the fires at Malakuta, which you know, I mean, and Josh was supposed to come down and spend a bit of time with us down there and uh, do a bit of fishing. But as you guys know, the fire just tore through Malakuta and the East Gippsland. Then the COVID-19, but the fire, the fires also took out a fair amount of state forest down in the, in the sort of snowy mountains region. And one of the forests we particularly hunted, you know, a fair bit sometimes was, uh, you know, completely decimated by fire as well. So mate, we're having a pretty shit house run at the moment, aren't we? Yeah, look, uh, there's a lot of negatives to it, but as we were talking about before we got, before we started the podcast, I I, I kind of see that there is an opportunity for hunters and anglers in Australia now. I think a lot of people are going to start asking questions of people they do know that hunt. Like my perfect example is like when I was looking for a hunting podcast and an Australian one, I typed in the search engine Australian hunting podcast and yours immediately came up like i think you're going to get a lot of traffic i think you're going to get a lot of people are thinking you know what what if the store doesn't have meat to buy you know what am i going to do then uh, what if there's no fish to buy like i think people that used to think oh if i need food i just go to the shops and i can get it are going to kind of think like oh what if i can't do that and maybe i should learn how to fish maybe i should learn how to hunt so i think hunters and anglers should just sort of keep their ears open a little bit and if someone expresses a little bit of interest in hunting, like help them along, you know, show them how to catch a feed of fish, show them, you know, how to butcher a deer or give them a cut of, you know, venison. Uh, you know, I think it, there's there's annoying things that have like happened right now, but in the long run, if we get more people fishing and more people hunting, I do think like the the problems we have with, you know. Forest being shut for this and that and juggled around and the problems that we have, the more hunters and the more anglers there are, the better we'll all be. So if I had to look at one positive, I think that will be the positive. I think more people will look at getting into them. All right, so I am just want to confirm, tell the the story because I didn't mention anything before the show because I wanted to make sure that, you know, I wasn't influencing your opinion or anything like that. Uh, how did we meet? I want to hear your story of how we met and uh, what your version of events was. Then I'll maybe chip in if it's correct or not correct uh, at the end. So how did we meet, man? <laughs> I love this no, no specifics of like specifically where we were or anything like that, but – we we I mean we can say we met in a state forest anyway we can say yeah. that so tell them story. So so a mutual friend of both of ours now Sharpie who is more of a shooter you and he can talk you know low development all the blah blah and all the, the technical stuff <laughs> that I just kind of gloss over. He and I was somebody said hey you should try this state forest so we went to the state forest and I think the first day we were there I just was like. What's with this? It was not like any of the other forests I've been to. It was just blackberry, thick, you know, pine, pine forest with waist high blackberry the whole way through it. Now I'm used to, you know, I've been to, down to places like Bondi where it can be quite open. You'll go through the, you know, you'll walk through trees, 
and, you know, quietly walk through a nice little bed of, of pine needles and, you know, you know, walk 10 metres, see what you can see, walk another 10 metres, see what you can see. And we went to this one, absolutely impenetrable. We, you know, couldn't get through it. And we were just walking the roads, like, because you couldn't walk anywhere else. And we sort of came around the bottom edge where there's private next to pine. and we're both walking up this road, just shaking our heads like, wow, what are we going to do here? I, I got no idea what I'm doing. And we come up to a, a quarter of a road and there's a little depression, like a, a mound and a depression in the middle of it. And I see this big guy sitting in it. I looked up <laughs> and I immediately heard the voice in my head with Jason Selms. And I was like, oh, my God, introduce ourselves. We were there chatting for a yeah, couple of minutes. But you didn't say anything first. Remember, you didn't say anything first. I think we spoke for about – I don't know, maybe a minute or so. And I think if I <laughs> just, I don't know verbatim if this was the exact words you said, but you're like, oh, Jason, so this is your little honey hole or something or something <laughs> along those lines. Or is this your little hidey hole spot? Or is this your favorite little honey hole spot? I'm like, I'm like, this bastard. You know, who is who is this guy? I don't even, who is he? Where do I know him from? But the absolute best part was within the first five minutes of us oh, talking, yeah. you you look behind us and you go wide-eyed and you kind of go, don't move, don't move, don't move. And you look around and we kind of look and we're like, what, what, what's going on, what's going on? Two deer had just popped out of the, the natural that was on the private side. And I know now that what they'll do is they'll come out of that bush, they'll cross down that private, they'll come under the fence and you're like, no, damn it, damn it, I've been sitting here for three hours and, you know, now we're just scared too often. Oh, well, we keep chatting for well, whatever it was, probably 15 20 minutes and you go wide-eyed again and you're like, no, no, and another three, I think. And they were nice little spotted does had, yep. had come out. And yep. So in the probably half an hour that we, you know, met you, we'd all and we're standing in the middle of the road. We were obvious. We're Hang on, and when we say road, because people begin to think, oh, these guys oh. are shooting a road. When we say road, we're talking basically – I'm uh, talking mud track. We're talking yeah. a mud. I don't even know if it's even a, a track. It's enough. It's got basically two wheel lines on it. I mean, I don't even know if it's even a, a, a classified as a road or anything. No, you know, but no, you, you sort of got to stick to those forests. You got to sort of stick to those edges and stuff like that in those game trials. Actually, have any chance of actually you know shooting the bloody deer? Well, and that was what you explained to us. You're like, no, no, you can't walk this forest. You need to, you know, sit, find a nice spot where they're going to filter through and wait and you know that's what we did i don't think we actually no we didn't get one that trip um but you know that was one of those little tidbits of information that you know someone passes along to you and you immediately like oh all right well this is uh, you know and now i know some forests you walk and some forests you sit um and that one was definitely a sit and wait forest yeah i can't believe that like while sitting there, it was interesting because when the you know they're walking up, I'm just hear this noise and I'm looking to my right and I think there was a bit of pine in front of me like sort of hung over and I'm thinking what's that freaking noise? It sort of you know wasn't sure if it was a deer or what it was, but as I look to my right, you can see the the blaze orange hats 
you know, like probably 50 or 60 metres away. And, you know, there's a lot of rocks on the ground as well. And they were shuffling forward. I'm thinking, mate, these guys have got no chance <laughs> on, on shooting a deer making this much noise. Hey, don't worry. I've done the exact same thing because, you know, it's happened to me a million times as well. I've been walking or... As you know, if you, you know, we listen to the show and stuff on plenty of shows, I've made noise and then I hear something to my left and I go, oh, shit, what's that? And then I see the arse end of like three or four fallow running off and I'm like, what are these guys doing? Like, they're not going to, you know, what a bunch of hackers I'm thinking. These guys aren't going to get anything and, you know, but then, hey, you've had good success you know, uh, since then, so it's been great. Yeah, no, look, I, I love that one and unfortunately it's burnt to the ground in the fires and I don't think we're going to be back there for a couple of years. But uh, no, it was good, and and that little tidbit of information probably, you know, has put a lot of deer on the ground for me. So it's yeah, interesting no. because another mate of mine too. I think he did one. I can't remember who he did the course with, but it was one of those guys down in Victoria, and he said, you know, sometimes it's not good just to bushwalk with a with a with a rifle. You know, find out where they want to be, find out you know the the places they want to go, find out where they want to feed, water, and stuff like that, and you know, try and you know catch them coming in, try and, you know, cut them off, you know, be, be where they want to be and get onto them before they see you. That was the biggest piece of advice I think's worked for me. Sure, as you said, there's probably a lot of forests out there where, you know, you have to walk, there's no there's no opportunity. But, you know, some people can, you know, go to an area as well where it's open and, you know, sit there and wait too. Hopefully they're going to come out into those areas and feed and stuff like that. And I can't believe when we'll – Right when Josh turns up, Josh and Sharpie turn up, like I'm just sitting there. I think it was in the first three or four minutes and I looked to the oh, left and I saw the, the two, I think well, there were spiker, well, maybe a spiker a day, I don't know, or two spikers, I don't know what they were. And they were those nice colours ones too. And they were about 300 metres to my left and I thought, oh, this bastard's ruined my hunt, you know, like I could have had a <laughs> chance maybe on trying to get up there and cutting them off or something like that when they come over from the from the, from the private as well. And then all of a sudden they're going, oh, well. And he goes, oh, no, I remember you saying too you were like oh no i'll just mate, i'll leave you to it and stuff i said oh don't worry now man they're gone now it's not a big deal and then all of a sudden probably yeah 10 minutes later something catches our eye again and we see three or four does just you know springing their steps i think they came from the from the uh public onto the private and then i'm looking forward and i go where'd they come from you know like and they were just bouncing around like a couple of spring box you know they sort of you know sp- yeah. spring around and i'm like oh no i can't believe i've just sent saw two lots of deer and I'm talking to these schmucks, so no, no, just kidding. No, no, that's all right. I'm still talking to no. you now, so I must not think you're a schmuck. So no, no, it was good. No, it was a, it was a, you know, a very memorable way to meet you. And hey, how many times have we been back there, you know, together now? Like we've probably been hunting, what, seven or eight times together now. Yeah, something like Up that. There? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's been good. good huh? Uh, we definitely remember it. We both chuckle about it, so it wasn't that bad. Yeah. But you've done really well up there. Like I was there, you know, I've heard you a couple of times on the podcast talk about uh, the time you got the the samba and the fallow, you know, right behind each other. I remember you pulling up to camp that night and, you know, we went through them all. And, yeah, so it's, it's funny hearing a lot of the stories on the podcast. I'm like, oh, I remember that one. And, yeah, so, yeah. no, you you did really well up there. Um so did I, but yeah, yeah. Like I say, it's a shame it burned down. It's funny, eh? Because you're not the. There's another guy that's on my Facebook as well, um, and I did some interviews with him when I was at iHoney. Turned up to the iHunt Expo, and um, well, I don't know if we've ever 
Actually, it was. Remember when we were first at that first camp spot? That's probably God's has been smashed now by the fire. But we're at that first camp so I think that's where I first met you. We were looking over the maps and stuff like that. If that was you, I can't remember. But um, there's a guy that turned up and there's a bit of a – he's pulled his car up and where the camping is, sort of like near the – like a, a main dirt road within the forest. And then he's looked through the the open part of the forest where it was a bit clear. And he goes, hey, guys, how you going? I said, yeah, mate, pretty good. Yeah, how yourself? And, yeah, good. He goes, oh, hang on a minute. He goes, oh, Jason Selms. And I said, oh, no. And he goes, I've seen you on YouTube. And I said, oh, shit, man. I can't even go in the middle of a – yeah. Like, it's funny. Like, I enjoy that stuff. It's funny. In the middle of nowhere. Yeah, yeah, middle of nowhere, and I see these guys. Then I see you, like, and if that's in the middle of nowhere, where I saw Josh and Sharpie guys was, like, literally – you could sit there for five or six hours a day, maybe even three days, who knows, and nobody would come past, like nobody. No, and like then, it's a long way to get there and yeah. Yeah, it's the pain. But, hey, that's why I say, like, I think you've got a good opportunity now to get people into hunting when they, you know, when they think, well, what if the supermarket runs out of meat? So, yeah. you know. At least you yeah. didn't, um, you know, you didn't take – how long did it take you to get your first year anyway? I know you did some – some culling and stuff, but what about? It took I guess, a while. Yeah. yeah, I reckon it took three years, um, and plenty of missed opportunities, and they were usually silly mistakes. Um, you know, there was one time, you know, one of the first trips I went on, I probably got oh, super close to a group of three, and I think a group of seven deer, and at the time I was, you know, walking around with a bow. And um, just stuffed them all up. It's it's so incredibly hard. You know, you're walking along and you, you see deer and then you're like, oh, well, now I've got to get an arrow out of the quiver and try and put it in and stand there and draw. And like, the deer's not going to stand there for that. He sort of looks at you and you see the nose flare and poof, then it's gone. Uh, and then the other one, I, I walked and I walked and I sat and I looked and I listened and I walked and did all that. I thought, all right, I'm going to walk back to the car now. I strapped the bow to my backpack because I was like, oh, now I've got to walk up this big hill. Immediately started to go up the hill and like seven deer crossed right in front of me about 35, 40 metres. And I was like, damn it. I'm never going to get the back, you know, I'm never going to get the bow off the backpack and and do it. Um, but yeah, it took, you know, even once I got the firearms license and, and got the 243, it still took. Oh, I reckon another 18 months, like, and, and a lot of the, again, you know, the wind is going a slightly wrong way and they, you know, they'll pop out of the pine, catch a whiff and poof, they're gone. Um, no, so I reckon all up from, from seriously trying to get a deer to actually getting one, I reckon took me three years. Yeah, well, took me five, which is, you know, it's funny how when you you, you shoot them too, like, it was weird because straight after that, like I think oh, I can't remember. I mean, this was a mixture of you know private property and, and hunting in state forests, etc. But I think I got one like pretty much on every on every trip that I went on. You know, like it's it's funny how your luck changes, eh? I yeah, I don't know what it is, but mine certainly did the same thing. Like it, it just starts to you know come. It comes a lot easier, and I think you're less you know panicked about. You know, when you see one, and uh, I think it's the same as a lot of things. You've got to fail a lot before you're going to succeed. So, you know, it's, it's just a progression. You know, I think if you were someone who had it all just handed to you, like 
come here, do this, sit here. Okay, it's going to pop out over there. Boom. You put them on their own. They're not going to. They're not going. If you're going to try and get one on your own, you got to learn and make the mistakes to get them on your own, and then you can go out and do it on your own. Um, whereas, yeah, if someone if someone puts it on a platter in front of you, you're not going to learn how to do it. And the same holds true for fishing. A lot of people say like, "Oh, yeah, you know, I caught a, a thousand pound marlin," and you're like, "Oh, did you?" Or did the charter boat captain, you know, drive the boat to the spot, put the bait on, and you wound it in? So, you know, I think, I think you and I have done it the hard way, and most people will have to do it the hard way. But I think you need to, you know, learn from your mistakes, and then once you know you get past those, yeah, it starts to come thick and fast. And after that first one, it it feels like it gets a lot easier. True. It's going to go a quick break, guys, and we'll be right back. The National Shooting Council has launched legal action against the decisions to effectively close gun shops in Victoria, Queensland and Western Australia. The closures were made for political reasons and are having devastating impacts on the livelihoods of people trying to run the shops that we need to keep. If you would like to support the fight to keep our gun shops open, then get behind the National Shooting Council today. To become a member or donate to the legal fight, just go to nationalshooting.org.au. All right, mate, uh, favourite game animal to hunt? What's your favourite game animal? And I guess what do you want to be able to shoot? Let's say in the deer species as well. You've obviously shot, I think, fallow, but what's your? what do you want to start shooting eventually as well, like any other particular species? Well, definitely deer um, are the favourite species for sure. I've shot some goats. I've shot a couple of pigs, um, which is fine. But I do enjoy – there's something about the challenge of deer and I can understand why, you know, they they have the – you know, they they sit on the pedestal they do because um, they are a challenge and I enjoy that part of it. They also taste pretty damn good. Um, I'd have to say as far as species-wise, I wouldn't mind if we ever get to do it again is going in the hog deer ballot down in Gippsland because I love that Gippsland area for fishing and I figure, you know, hunting down there, you know, might be a lot of fun as well. So how far off that is, I don't know. But, you know, trying to hunt hog deer around, um, oh, I'm trying to remember the name of the place, Snake Island? Yeah, Snake Island, yep. Yeah, no, I thought about putting in for that this year and I thought, ah, oh, I'll give it a – but, yeah, I, I, I enjoy deer and probably – Hog deer. I'm not as into the samba as everybody else is. I, I don't know why. Maybe I just haven't had the encounters yet with a big samba, but, you know, I'm like, okay, it's a really big deer. That doesn't, you know, interest me as much as, you know, fallow seem to be the well, – of the places we go, fallow seem to be, you know, the majority of them. I have seen a couple of uh, chittle. Um, I'd love to, to go after them as well, but I feel like they're a bit of an – a bit of an oddity. Um, but, yeah, I'm pretty happy. Uh, at the moment, I'm pretty happy going after fallow, you know, and in the future I'd like to give hog deer a go. I must admit if I had to probably pick one, I reckon fallow, they're just, you know, so many varied in colours and you get the dark chocolate ones, you get the light ones, the spotted ones. I've even seen ones, I was on a hunt one time, I'm not sure if you, I don't, I don't think you are on that one, this was before we sort of knew each other, but uh, my mate was just driving around and all of a sudden, bang, this white one. And he said, you've got no idea. He said, when it popped out, it was like on the top of the road 
and the sun was coming from behind it. He goes, it was just majestic. It was like the the, the second coming of Christ. That's that's how he said it, you know. And he goes, this thing was white like anything you wouldn't believe. No spots. It was a fallow deer, like it was could have been an albino fallow deer. I'm not sure if they even exist, but he goes, it was just white. And he goes, I didn't get a good look at it, so they went around the this like into the bush. And then around to the left, and he goes, then somehow we cut it off, not meaning to. And then he goes, then it was right in front of the car. And he goes, what was it like? And he said, just like stone white, not a, a dark mark on it. And he goes, I would have loved to have shot that one and got it taxidermied. And I said, oh, well, hopefully we can, you know, head back there someday, <laughs> hopefully try and get it if no one else has shot it, you know? <laughs> I was going to make a joke about uh, he was looking at the label on a bottle of two is new. But um, I've, actually, <laughs> I've actually seen uh, an albino red deer when I used to live up in Queensland, funnily enough, like I wasn't, well, I didn't have the hunting bug then. This is probably 15 years ago. We lived out west of Brisbane and we used to drive, you know, we'd be coming home from being out the night before really early. Um, and a lot of times we would see like big red deer stags in the mist down the bottom of this creek bed that we had to drive through to, well, you know, you'd, drove down the road, it had that misty bottom, and there used to be one big albino red stag buck, like big rack on it, you know, and you'd see it, you know, you'd see it once every couple of months. But, um, yeah, no, I know what you mean, like they're just this majestic thing that sort of sit in the mist and they're beautiful. Yeah, exactly. No, I totally agree. I don't know. I, I find the, the, the samba, like a lot of people love the samba and they're big and I agree with what you said before, but geez, they're a weird, I've shot a samba before, but geez, they're a weird looking animal with their big little hairy chest and they're up to, up to their neck and their <laughs> weird ears and nose. Like they're really uh, interesting where fallows sort of, I think, are more of the, I don't know, the good looking deer, so to speak. I'd like to shoot a red deer too. I think that'd be uh uh, up there on my list, a good size red deer. Some of these red deer I'm seeing in some of these other countries, they're just huge, man. And actually, surprisingly, I think from what I read on the internet, red deer is the, the biggest deer species where I thought Samba was actually the biggest deer species. But Mr. Google says, no, red deer are actually bigger. Not by much, but they're big size deer actually are some of the biggest in the world. Yeah, I didn't know that. I mean, yeah, I... Yeah, obviously as opposed to elk. Bigger. Obviously as opposed to like you know yeah, in the US elk like elk moose. and moose and stuff like not not that type of antlered game. But you know, talk yeah. I mean, just talking about your you know your general sort of deer species. But um, that's what Google. Hope maybe Google's wrong. Maybe I should find out. But I know they on the online it said red deer was you know some of the bigger ones. And even I was surprised. I thought wow, so I thought Samba was you know, way bigger than than red deer, but maybe not. Well, I think I've shown you the photos of my my friend Samba that he got down near Wollongong on private land somewhere, and it was massive. Like, he's a big guy. I think he's 6'5 and probably, you know, 130 kilos. Like, he's a big dude. And this thing looked like a horse next to him, and he's not one of those people that sits a mile behind it and, you know, you can tell that he's 10 metres behind the deer. Like, he's holding the antlers, you know, and they're, like, thick as beer can. (laughs) Like, this thing was massive. And he had trail cam pictures from... I think about six months before of it rubbing up a tree and then pictures of him standing next to the tree. And it, it was huge. It looked like a horse with, you know, and uh, it just was huge. So I wonder, I wonder, I know that one was big and I can only imagine, you know, in India, they must get bigger somewhere along there. Yeah. Tell us about the three deer, mate. You went to a property and you shot 
3D, probably one of the quickest hunts you've ever been on. And uh, tell us about that one. Oh, it was the last time I went out hunting. I did 11 hours of driving. <laughs> I think I managed an entire three hours hunting. Might have even been two hours hunting. Uh, and then I spent about nine hours butchering meat. So I drove I drove down or oh, I left work you know, an hour early. I got there at probably five o'clock or so. I thought, oh, I'll just I'll just sit out and I'll, you know, I'll have a go in the afternoon. Usually it's the you know, the best time. Um set up in one of my little spots, waiting for him to pop out. One pops out, I think it was 250, and this is with the new 308. Like I'd, you know, sighted the 308 in. I'd never actually shot it in the field. Um, I usually shoot from like a stool and I've got sticks. So I've got, you know, once I've got the, the sticks on the ground and then I've got my elbows on my knees, I've got a fairly stable platform to shoot. Um, put one into it. It just crumpled and buckled over, and I was like, oh, well, that was easy. Picked up the rifle, picked up the seat, went to sort of march back to my camp um, to go grab the car and, and bring it down. Uh, grab the car, come around the corner, and there's another one that had popped out and was sitting, you know, standing over the top of it looking around like, oh, what's going on here? Uh, walked back down probably the 100 metres, was still there, tried to set up, sit there. My heart was just pounding, pounding, pounding from walking back up the hill and then running back down the hill to try and get the second one. Put out another shot, nothing. (laughs) Put another one in, (laughs) nothing. Put another one in, nothing. I was like, oh, man, I cannot do a breathing like this. I was like, that that one's one, it's freedom. Went back, went down, you know, butchered that one till, you know, 9 o'clock at night. I'm not the best butcherer. Takes me a long time, I know. Um, got up the next morning. I was probably 500 metres from there, and I sat down for about an hour. Uh, I saw two of them. It's kind of rolling green hills there. Um, saw two of them making their way up one of the gullies. I thought, okay, well, where can I cut them off? I'll move down probably 50 metres, set up. Um Came over the hill, uh, shot the first one, dropped like a sack of spuds. The other one kind of had that look like, what just happened? What am I doing? Kind of back and forth, back and forth. Came broadside to me, shot that one. It ran probably 20 metres and went down. And I was like, oh, okay, well, I've hunted for, you know, a grand total of maybe two and a half hours now. And then I had to, (laughs) you know, sit and butcher those two on a tree. I, I just bought. Uh, my Yeti, I bought a 65-litre Tundra uh, Yeti Esky for, you know, transporting meat. And by the time I was done, I didn't even have space to put a bag of ice <laughs> in a 65-litre Tundra. <laughs> they weren't big deer. Um, they weren't huge. But once you get, you know, all that meat off, that's no bone. That's all boned out. That's just chunks of meat that was all it was and i couldn't even, i could hardly close the lid with a bag of ice in there to get home the next day so it was good like my wife was happy like i was gonna stay in there for three days and i thought oh well, i'm not gonna i got no space to do anything else. like uh, i wouldn't shoot one for for shits and giggles like I, I went down there to get meat and i had more than i could you know 
hold. And thankfully, that was the last one of the season, and I've still got a bit of that left, but I'm itching to get out there again and, and feel the freezer again. Yeah, how's that three oh eight going? Because I know you were you was you were shooting with a two four three for for a long while, weren't you? And then you, I know you shot a couple with the two four three, and they were you know, going down like a sack of spuds anyway. But then you wanted to upgrade. What was the re? I can't. Remember. We used to have a laugh about the reason. I think the missus said if you, you start getting more deer, then you can get your three oh eight. And then he did on the first trip. <laughs> originally, did. originally I bought the two four three because it was it was meant to be a a bit of everything gun. It wasn't. You know, it wasn't going to be too big that if I was shooting goats, it was just going to, there wasn't going to be anything left. But it wasn't going to be too small that, you know, if a half decent sized deer, you could still take it. It was, it was the middle of the road. It was the first rifle. It was the, this is going to have to do everything for a little while. And I didn't want to get something too big and too heavy that my wife wouldn't want to use it. Um, so it was kind of a, we'll both be able to use it. And then there was probably that, like I said, that, whatever it was, 12, 18 months, like there where I was like, oh, you know, oh, maybe I should get a bigger one. I've seen some some bigger deer and, you know, I'm seeing them at, at 250, 300 and I'm like, oh, like I'm I'm pretty good at 200 metres um, or I was with the 243 and I thought, oh, you know, I just, I want something a little bit bigger and I can, I'm, I trust a little bit further out. And she was like, nah, until you get a deer, <laughs> until you get one with the 243, you're not buying a second one. And I was like, I can't really argue with that logic. Um, so I got the first one. Um, and then tax check came in. And I said, right, okay, I'm gonna get I'm gonna get a new 308. And then, oh no, my friend Jason's selling this 22 for a really good deal. Maybe I should get that too. So I managed to talk her into two <laughs> straight away. That's the best. Well, I feel like the safe's pretty good now. I got I got pretty much everything covered. Um, but that was the first trip out. Like I sighted in the 308. I went out. Uh, what did I say? I let off one, two, three, four, six shots, and that's it. Like it hasn't been out since. Like that was the last – that was oh, October. Uh, yeah. It was, was late the, in the season. I think it was, it was, think it was the, a week before I went away. Uh you, yeah, you went up like a it week was. or two before me because he—that's the thing. He, Josh wanted me to go too, and I thought, oh no, I've got a trip planned the long weekend. And I thought, well, lucky I didn't go because this bastard shot three deer in the space <laughs> of you know twenty-four hours. Like, man, if I'm going for four days, he, he probably would have had to, you know, uh, probably leave. You know, at least get the meat home, or if not, you know, it would have been difficult to stay with that much meat trying to keep it cold. He probably would have had to travel into you know the local you know town to get ice every day if he didn't leave but i mean what's he gonna do shoot more deer i mean you know then again he probably could have given me some deer eh? yeah that would have been nice wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> yeah it was good though it worked out really well um no I, like i say we're, we're still going through like packages of deer in the freezer now and yeah, now I'm, I'm I'm really keen now that the weather's cooling back down to to get out there. We missed, you know, we missed our trip. They literally said, you know, no masks. What a day before we're all supposed to go? Like what? There, how many of us were going? I think it was a week before, wasn't it? Where uh, we we booked in. There was a fair few of us. Yeah, I think it was the week before, and I was actually literally out at the shop 
buying a new swag and then I, as I'm driving into the car park of the shop, I, I hear bing, 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 bing on the phone. Everyone's hitting my phone and I'm thinking, all right, this is, you know, I'll just wait until I get back. So I go buy the swag. I get in the car. All right, grab my phone. I better check it. Oh, shit. Public land hunting cancelled. <laughs> I feel like it was like four days before we were meant to leave. Like I feel like it was – it was on a Friday because I know it was on a Friday and we were going to leave probably the next Thursday, Thursday or whatever. Yeah. 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 Damn anyway, bastards, eh? Hey? Oh, it was, it was a shame, but, we're, you know, we'll get back there eventually. But, yeah, I am itching to get out there now. I feel like the fishing's winding down for me and, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back out there. And like I say, you know, I've I've learned I've learned in the time I've been doing it to, to really enjoy the meat and, you know, we use every bit of deer. Like, uh, I'd say that's the main, one of the main reasons I enjoy hunting and deer hunting especially is, you know, the meat. Like, I've been goat hunting a few times now, and, I mean, it's not bad, but goat meat's not, it's not deer, that's for damn sure. Um, And consequently, I don't enjoy goat hunting as much, you know. Uh, I've got a couple of properties that, you know, they're pay-to-play kind of properties and there's heaps on there. But, you know, you shoot one or two and butcher them and you think, well, it's not that great. I'd rather go and get a deer. Um, I've also found that, you know, with the group of guys that we go with, like it's one of those weird things like having met you and then all the people that come with you, like I've gone along with all of them, you know, and it's, it's odd. You kind of – some people have this picture of hunters in their mind and I – you know, I can tell you our little group of guys that go out, nothing like that. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah, 100%. We'll talk a bit more about the game utilization. We'll just go to a quick break, guys, and we'll be right back. Looking for outdoor equipment for your next adventure? At Aussie Outdoor Gear, you can find cooking equipment, camo clothing for kids, backpacks, camo accessories, and much more. We cater for your hunting, fishing, camping, hiking, and other outdoor pursuits with our unique product range. AussieOutdoorGear.com.au. Quality gear at affordable prices. Mate, what are you utilising when you take the game meat? I mean, you just took, you know, last year, you might have – I'm not even sure if you've even got any left, but what do you normally – how do you normally cook it up? What do you normally cook it up into? Well, uh, again, this is another learning process that I've sort of had to go through, like, you know, putting a deer on the ground is the first thing, and then you've got to learn how to butcher it, and then you've got to learn what you want to do with it. Um, of course, you know, backstraps, tenderloins uh, get cooked up just as you should like enjoy that meat you know exactly how it is uh you know i i sous vide a lot of meat um so i usually cook them in the sous vide and then throw them on the barbecue for like you know 30 seconds on each side just to just to sear the outside um i found though that my wife is not a huge fan of the rest of it like as steaks or roasts or anything like that so I actually, and people are going to hate this, I actually minced <laughs> a lot of it. I would say, <laughs> yeah. other than other than tenderloins and backstraps, um, everything else gets minced. Uh, and what I'll generally do is I'll come home, I'll get all the large muscle groups, any sort of sinew or fat or anything will get trimmed off, and that goes in the dog pile. Um, anything that's just pure, you know, muscle will go in. We'll pack it in. Um, 
like vac sealed bags and stick it in the freezer so I can stack nicely. Um, but we do a lot of spaghetti, a lot of chili. We use a lot of mints, uh, and I love it like that. Like we certainly utilize every bit of it. Um, and then all you know, once we're done with with that grind, um, then I'll put the dog stuff through, and same deal. We'll pack it down. Um, and you know our dogs sort of get one or two days a week of of venison. So I, I, you know I utilize every bit of deer I can get off there. Um, I probably should try and get into you know fiddling around with slow cookers and amazing recipes and that sort of stuff. But I'm quite happy with you know venison spaghetti is pretty damn good. <laughs> yeah, you've tried the sausages. I probably probably didn't tell you this. My bloody um freezer you know like i've got a tucker box in the in the garage i had something on the car i've only i've only got one like power outlet in the garage so i must have unplugged the um power cord to the freezer when i was using some power tools oh and i forgot to plug it back in so it was there for like eight days i had a bit of extra meat in my normal freezer but like yeah 80 percent of it was probably gone some stuff at the bottom that was vac sealed that was like encased in the rest of it was still pretty cold like but i reckon it was probably off for about eight nine days at least you know i know i know know it was the weekend before so i went a whole week and then on the uh wednesday i think i found it so i was like man i've lost so much meat luckily some of the cold stuff was still vac sealed so that should be okay but yeah i lost a lot of sausages and just uh you've had the sausages on our trips haven't you that i've brought oh we've made constant jokes about jason sausage on the camping trips (laughs) (laughs) and you've probably seen some like on facebook and instagram as well but no that borvost that you bring like that's great like and at the time i was you know talking keto diets and that sort of stuff and oh man i i could have eaten entire ones i mean you brought five or six of those and we you know sat around the camper and ate them all but you know no, they were great like and cooked directly over the fire as well like i think there's you know there's something to be said for you know being out in the bush camping over a fire and and eating you know meat that you got the last trip you're out no it was great like i really enjoyed those sausages yeah there's no better way to cook it guys you know if you jump on the on one of the websites just grab one of those like a bry rack i think it's like south african joints sell them like a good heavy duty one i think about 20 or 30 bucks you can buy them and then one comes with like a stand as well just like a three-legged stand so you just put some you know, put your over your fire or put some coals out on the ground next to it. You know, that's nice and hot. And then you just chuck over the top. You're, uh, you know, and you just keep turning it on the rack on those grill racks. You know, if you know what I mean, mate, comes out delicious. Add a bit of that, and you know how good that is. Bit of that cupy mayonnaise, oh, or a, yeah. bit of, <laughs> a bit of the uh, sweetened, you know, not sweetened salad. They got sweet chili sauce, whatever. Oh man. Delicious. A lot of cupid mayonnaise. No, yeah. I loved it. That was good. I'm looking forward to the next time. What about your next purchase, man? Any purchases coming up or no, that's it? You got what you're happy with what you got now and that's it for a while? Like is uh, in guns or, you know, associated equipment? Because Josh, most people don't know, he travels light, man. Like when he goes there, normally like if I meet up with him, he's like either sleeps in his car or he got, he's got he got his little, uh, what's the other thing, the hammock, the which hammock. is probably good too. Um, I haven't tried that yet. I don't know if they're made for the bigger sort of more cuddly guys like me, the old um, uh, hammocks. So uh, what, anything coming up to purchase or anything like that? Firearms-wise, not really. Like I say, I'm fairly happy. I think I've got the spread, the 22, the 243, and the 308. I don't think there's too many things that, you know, I'm not going to be able to 
You need a shotgun. You need a shotgun, man. Well, yeah, convincing the wife on that one's the hard part, but yeah, maybe. <laughs> if if there was anything, that'd be it. But the thing that I really like to get, um, and the thing I want to push for is a deep freezer. Like, you know, yeah. you got your deep freezer in the garage and I'm I'm trying to say, like, okay, we can because at the moment, like with the whole corona thing going on, it's been a lot more fishing and you know, I've been catching heaps of squid lately. And we've just been flat packing uh, squid in vac seal bags and stacking them in the freezer and, you know, fish fillets as well. And, and no, you know, even myself, this whole thing of like, well, you know, food might not be always available all the time um, has made me think like, no, I want a deep freezer and I want to, you know, I want to be able to go in on a Thursday and say, oh, let's have, you know, let's have squid for dinner tomorrow night. And so a deep freezer would be nice. Uh, but as far as camping and and hunting gear, no, I feel like I've got most of what I really need. My my last purchase, I think you saw, were those um like noise cancelling. Uh, what would you call it? It's like a neck band, uh, hearing protection. Yeah, you know they won't let us have suppressors, so you've got to go out and buy um, electronic hearing protection, which you know is all right for me. Like I tend to like to listen to podcasts and music. I spend a lot of time listening to podcasts, which is also, you know, how I found you, um, basically because of my job. But I also do it with hunting. But uh, I'm trying to remember what they're called. Anyway, they're they're an electronic uh, hearing suppression that also has Bluetooth to your phone. Um, you can turn up the outside volume so I can hear people talking. I can hear... Uh, animals moving, and then I turn the volume right down on a podcast and I can just hear a podcast, but then I can hear, you know, something pop out of the bushes. Um, But then as soon as the rifle goes off, you know, that noise is suppressed, which has been good because even the little bits that I've done, I could already feel like my ears getting that little bit of ringing. Um, So, yeah, uh, that was a good purchase. But hunting-wise, I'm pretty good. I I just want to spend more time out in the bush at the moment. So how did you get involved in the the fishing industry? Tell us about that. I mean, you work for tech and in the tech department of servicing and managing all the reels and stuff coming in. Tell us about that. So I worked in hospitality for like 15 years and thoroughly did not enjoy it at all. And I was like, oh, how am I going to get into doing something else? Um, And at the time, uh, I had been, you know, pulling apart my own fishing reels and, you know, servicing them, cleaning them up, doing all that sort of stuff. Uh, And a position became available at one of the other big fishing companies. So I worked for them for about, I think it was three or four years. And then I worked for a kayak company down the south coast for three or four years. And then I came back to where I am now. Um, It was basically like it was a transition to, okay, this is the industry I'd like to work in. Um, I kind of knew what I was doing. and. Yeah, I got better at it as I went. I enjoy it. And now I live, you know, uh, as I said to you before we started the podcast, I live seven minutes from where I work. It's a great company to work for. Um, and I enjoy what I do. And I get to sit down and listen to podcasts all day. <laughs> Not a bad job. What about favorite fish? I mean, where do you get to? You're down south there or south, what, southwest-ish Sydney, south Sydney along the – Southern Shire, so Southern. Cronulla, like – He's from Cronulla, the Shire, basically. guys, so just – No, uh... <laughs> funnily enough, I always used to hang shit on people from the Shire, 
Like I've lived in nearly every other part of Sydney. You know, I've lived on the northern beaches. I've lived, I've lived everywhere except I think the eastern suburbs. Like as in areas of of Sydney. Always used to hang shit on the shore. Shore people. Shore people. Always used to rag on them all the time because I had a couple of friends from here. And then when I moved here, I was like, oh. This is actually pretty good down here. Like, I now oh, I see why no, people like it. He's turned into the people he's so despised. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not too bad. It's the same as anywhere. I'm sure right where you live, you've got some nice people and then you've got uh, some uh, dingbats. There's probably more idiots so, out where I am than where you are, that's for sure. No, I, I quite enjoy living out here. But yeah, where were we? What were we saying before we ragged on the show? Oh, just yeah, make it. I guess uh, you, you well, you living down there, you know what I mean. You uh, what, what more fishing? What do you? Where do you get oh, to go out right. to? Like you said, you're getting squid. Like I mean, we're going to need the exact GPS coordinates of those areas, you know, just for you know educational purposes, of course, you know. Colonel uh, Colonel <laughs> uh, Oil Loading Wharf, like the old Caltex. You know, next to that. Right, that Everybody was a joke, knows. by the way. I didn't actually that's tell no, you. Okay. That's no secret. You go out there any day of the year and there'll be five or six boats, ten boats out there trying to catch their squid. So that's no secret at all. Like, I'm sure that there are, you know, super secret spots. There are no secret fishing spots in Sydney, guys. Everybody knows about them. Like, actually, you know what? If I had to pick one thing that annoys me about the fishing industry – Right, because most of the time, if you're hunting, you know, if you go to a forest, man, that could be ten million forests. You know, it could be anywhere, right? But when they go to fishing, I see them on the pages, and I sometimes I make fun of them with my own little like meme. Yet they'll put a photo up. Let's say they're holding a flathead or a Malawi jewfish, whatever it may be, and they've literally coloured out the background of where they are. So all you see is their head their body, the fish, and the rest of it's being coloured in with like, you know, they just got it on their phone and used like one of the apps to colour in around. I'm like, what's the point of even posting this? Because what, because people might see where you are? I mean, who really cares? Like, I think everyone knows the good spots in Sydney if they've been fishing for long enough, which you probably have. Look, like I said, there are no secret spots. And um, look, I'm also not a fan of Facebook or Instagram. I try and avoid them as much as, you know, possible. Um, I think people put up photos like that to as a look how good I am. Oh, I'm awesome. I caught a fish. And you're like, oh, okay. But no, there's no real secret spots. And some levels of secrecy I, I just don't get, especially when it's in the Sydney area. Everyone knows. Like you think you've come up with a spot that you look on Google Maps and you're like, you know what, I reckon I could probably catch squid in this spot. And you go down there and there's five other guys there with squid jigs. Like everybody knows everything around here. So no, saying like – those weed beds out the front of Kernel is is definitely no secret. You know, go out there and have a flick. But this, you know, fish are much the same as any hunting species. They come in, they come out, they'll be over this side, they'll be over that side, like the, the forest that I met you. You did awesome on one side of the forest there for a while, and every time you went over there, you come back with a deer, and then what? It was six months later. He went over. Then nobody saw anything on that side no, of the forest, no. you know. And then they're all on the other side. So you can you can give someone GPS coordinates, and they'll go there, and they'll catch nothing, and they'll be like, "Oh, Jason put me on," you know. You know, he gave me a bum steer. He told me the wrong spot. And it's like, well, no, it's a good spot, but you know, whatever it was. Two weeks ago, when I was doing really well on squid, I went out on. Thursday morning got a bunch, went out on Friday morning, got a bunch. Saturday was a bit windy, went out Sunday morning and didn't see a thing. Like, 
they move around. You know, where they are one day, they won't be the next. What so, about squid? Are they, you know, like tidal as well in regards to catching? Are they, are they like fish or they'll pretty much, if they're there, they'll chomp anything anytime? They're usually best, like, really early morning, um, especially in Sydney. Like, when I lived on the south coast, it's easy. Like, they're, they're dumb on the south coast. I don't know. I don't know. They just don't get the pressure or I, I don't know what it is. Squid's a weird species. They're not, they don't live very long. They only live, like, 18 months. Like, so they just eat stuff and try not to get eaten. That's pretty much their entire life. Breed and then they're gone. Don't be a squid, um, eh? You end up either no. on somebody's plate, live bait, eaten or dead, one or the other, or, or too or old worse, and just die. Or worse, get caught, get used as live bait, not <laughs> eaten as live bait, and then eaten by the person anyway, which happens a lot. Yeah, um, nice. But yeah, but squid's been lately um, – as I say, as I've said a couple of times with this whole coronavirus thing, I've kind of looked for, all right, where can I fill the freezer with food? Um, the other one lately has been ludric. Like, you know, ludric are really popular species, land-based off the rocks uh, in Australia, and they got popular during the first Great Depression. And as we're on the edge of the second Great Depression, uh, maybe I'll get back in or get into a bit of ludric fishing. Um, but my main focus for many years has been brim, um, mostly because of the the comps and tournament scene, which kind of popularise it. And you know, people look at it and they think, like, "Oh, what a giant wank!" You know, competition this or that, and it can be a bit like that. But it just became sort of my focus. And I used to find that if you go out fishing for jewfish. You, you'll catch a jewfish or you catch nothing or you might catch a flathead. If you go out fishing for uh, kingfish and you're using big live squid, usually you'll either catch kingfish or you'll catch nothing. Like Whereas when you go out brim fishing, you tend to catch, because you're using slightly smaller lures and you're moving them a bit slower than you know other things, you'll catch brim but you'll catch all sorts of other stuff. You know, so I'll be fishing for brim and you'll randomly see kingfish bust up, you know, 50 metres over from you or salmon or tailor or all sorts of stuff. You get plenty of flathead. You get, you know, pinky snapper in some of the deeper spots. Um, so that, that's that been probably the main focus as far as saltwater. And then I do enjoy, you know, a lot of trout fishing. Um, so same spots. Uh, uh, Part of the reason, like, I enjoy going up there, a lot of times I'll go up hunting where we go and, and you know, do a day or two of trout fishing afterwards. It's interesting because even the, on most trips I go on, even when we went down to Malacuta at Christmas time and, and before this as well on boats, I've had decent results with soft plastics, but I could never, ever really get anything on, like, hard bodies or anything and then this year like i as a i watched a couple of youtube videos and i thought nah i've got to cover some area like get off the boat so what we did is we went around in malacuta i can't remember what what, what part of malacuta it was even was but along this edge and we jumped out and literally you can walk it up it for about probably almost a kilometer really and so we just i just kept flicking flicking walking flicking walking man probably caught that many fish on uh hard bodies and I've never really had any luck before. And I even caught my biggest 70-centimeter, uh, 70 71, whatever it was, 71-centimeter flathead 
on like a, a hard body. I think it was a bass day, I think, sugar deep or something like that. And yep. I was like stoked. I was like, wow, finally these bastard hard bodies are actually working because never had any success with hard body. I've tried the, you know, the, uh, what's the good one? The crank ones. What are they? The jackals and stuff like that on brim. I've never caught a brim on a hard body. I'm thinking, am I doing something <laughs> wrong? Am I fishing the wrong areas? Like guys are just like loading these fish up like you wouldn't believe me. No chance. Oh, see, I wish I'd got down to Malakuta. Like it was literally again a couple of days before I was about to come down that the fire sort of thwarted me getting down there. I mean, you got stuck down there, which was, you know, four weeks, man, four yeah, weeks. Yeah, which was a pain, and it's terrible for the people that live there how the fires went through there. But I really want to get down there and fish with you, and because I've fished. I fish mostly hard bodies. Like the first thing I'll try nearly anywhere is is fishing hard bodies. Um, I did get down to Gippsland in between the fires and the the corona. Um, they had one comp this year. The rest of it's been suspended. Um, I got down to Bem River, which is just, oh, I think, one or two systems over from Malakuta. And I had, a, I had one of the best, you know, three days of fishing I've had in, in years, you know, same thing. I was right at the very front of the system and I was fishing in a foot to two foot of water and I was like looking at fish. I'd see, you know, four or five fish, like a little loose school, make a big long cast over towards them, start one back the hard body, boom, hook another one, you know, and then you'd sort of sit up and you'd look around, see another one. And so I was sight casting fish for two days up there and Oh, I had a blast. Like, loved it. I love that area. Gippsland, you know, can we just sort of transplant Sydney, you know, all the jobs and, and work, like, into Gippsland, yeah. and that would be awesome. Or, you know, get That's a the only things I'd thought a long time about, you know, just, you know, but I've got a good job, so, but just moving and, you know, getting, you know, we're only going to be young once, I guess, as we get older, things get difficult to fish and hunt and stuff like that. But I just think there's some no jobs in some of these areas. So a lot of people that are in the regional areas are lucky to have work and be able to go hunting, you know, every afternoon or spotlighting if they decide to. It's just a, just a dream, you know, for a lot of us that unfortunately live in Sydney. But, um, yeah, one question I do have for you now probably going to show my t- my tight ass side here because I never had much luck as I said on the hard bodies. Do you are you like a bit of a brand whore when it comes to like lures because I I've got some here. I decided to go tight ass Tuesday and went on it. I think I think it might have even been AliExpress and one guy says to me, "Don't worry about buying the expensive stuff." I think I shouldn't even give him a plug, but you know, cuz it's a Chinese company, I guess, but I think it was like Kingdom Lures or something I think it's called. And so I went on there and he goes, "Buy these, you know, whatever." And there's a bunch of other ones on there too. So there's like some ones that are similar, I guess, to like jackals, those sort of little chubbies or whatever you want to call them, little jerk like crankbaits or whatever they call them. There's some vibes. I've got some bib style stuff. So I spent like 70 bucks i think i probably got like maybe probably 15 or 16 lures for 70 bucks which you're not going to get so i'm keen to try them out on my next trip to see if there actually is a difference between maybe in hooks there might be a difference i would say but again you're the pro you tell me is there any any difference between the stuff they can charge me like a a bastet sugar dip which did work i'm not going to deny it's a fantastic lure um but if i chuck something at them and the fish are on and i chuck a five dollar lure at them is the the 25 dollar lure really going to make that much of a difference if they're on well, I'm not Mr. Moneybags either, and like I, over my experience of doing it, have always sort of said the best lure is the one that you're willing to chuck up in the shit. Like you don't care. Like 
if you're fishing oyster racks or you're fishing snags in Malacoota or you're fishing, you know, horrible places, uh, you could give me a, a $30 lure or, sorry, if I had to pay for a $30 lure, I don't want to chuck it close enough, you know, to catch fish. Whereas over the years I've found, like, Atomic oh, atomic Cranks, I think. I, I don't even remember the name of them. Like, I just pick them up off the shelf now. Um, you can get them for, like, 12 bucks at, at, you know, big chain tackle stores when they're on special. And, like, I've caught more fish on them. I don't... I don't necessarily think the lures need to be super expensive. I think you need to be putting them in the right spot is the main thing. And, again, we come back to, like, what I know from fishing, like trying to take that over to what I do hunting now. I don't necessarily think the most expensive stuff equates to success. Sometimes I think it's just getting out there and, you know, working it out and – yeah, if you've got cheap lures and you put them right in front of fish, you put them in the right spot, like they'll catch fish. Like I've seen people catch fish on some weird stuff that you just think, oh, how do you catch? Because they were right, they're in front of fish. They know where the fish are and what the fish are doing, and they put them like put the lures right on top of them. So no, I don't think you necessarily need expensive ones, but expensive ones give people confidence and you know you go on facebook and they'll tell you like oh yeah this is the magic lure and you tie it on it'll catch fish 100 percent of the time like, okay well you know maybe not but no i don't think i don't think you necessarily have to buy the expensive stuff i was like, surprised you- man how good the actual okay maybe not the the hooks but a couple of them they said they were mustard hooks but you know we'll put that down to probably not you know what I mean but they actually yeah. feel good they they look good um, whether the you know the coatings and that stay on them but I'm thinking you know I'm f- fishing a lot of the time for flathead and stuff like that I don't think they're probably the smartest fish going around uh, you know and I think if I threw something I'm I'm willing to try anyway and I'm thinking you know three or four dollars US some of them were at six bucks US which now because the dollars crap probably puts them up about ten dollars so it's not like you're paying like 50 cents to a dollar for a lure you're still paying a little bit decent amount of money you're probably put you know maybe 60 percent less than your, your really expensive brand at 30 dollars and i have a look at them and they look really good as long as they swim fine and they've got like hundreds and hundreds and some of those thousands of reviews on some of these products and on that um facebook uh, i think it was a flathead facebook um uh, page, you know, the guy goes, don't worry about them, just buy this, 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 and this, the vibes and all that. And I thought, what the hell's a vibe? I didn't even, I knew soft plastics, <laughs> I knew these crankbaits. Yep. So I thought, what the freaking, or, or I think it's called a vib on there. I don't know if it, I think it maybe because they can't take the name from someone else, but, and I'm like, what the hell's a vibe? I've never used this crap, you know? And then look, when they come, I thought, actually looks pretty good. The only thing is the colors they offer probably really aren't the best, but he goes, mate, I've caught them on this one. This one was like a, a purpley black with an orange thing on it. I was like, you're not going to catch anything on that, man. Like, no way. And he goes, oh, yeah, I've caught some really big fish. And the one that he caught, I think it was a, a, a meter eight flathead, and he was sharing what lures he was using, just just cheap stuff, really cheap stuff. I have no doubt, and especially flathead. I, I as you said, flathead aren't the smartest of fish. They tend to react to um, any movement shooting past it. I've caught flathead on – I used to – fly fish for blackfish. So like you use this little piece of green fluff that's meant to look like a piece of weed and you would throw it out <laughs> and you let it drift in the current motionless. Like it needs to drift through the water like it's just 
a piece of weed drifting in the water or the blackfish won't touch it. And then you bring it in and you cast it out and you let it drip back down again. Well, the amount of flathead I've caught, not big ones, but you bring it back in to recast it and a flathead will grab what's meant to look like weed and green and moving past, they don't care. Uh, the, the trick with flathead especially, and like I have no doubt that those lures will catch fish, but that guy knows where the flathead are. That's the thing. Like if I gave you a rusty old 308 or, you know, some junker, rifle that shot straight and you know you sent out the best hunter you sent out steve ranella with a, a cruddy old you know 308 he's probably coming over the you send me out with thirty thousand dollars worth of all the newest gear it's not guaranteed so you know that that guy's knowledge of where to catch flathead probably counts for a lot but i've no doubt that those lures will catch flathead for you and you have to send me some pictures afterwards and where i can get them yeah, I know. It's, I'll even send you some photos. I'm actually, as I said, kind of shocked how good they actually feel and look for that price. And another guy that I know, he uses Vibes. I use Vibes as well and just, you know, jerk him a certain way he, you know, fishes them and stuff like that. So I'll give it a try. Like, you know, different weights as well, you know, 12, 10, 12, 14, 20 grain or 20 gram, I should say. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm keen to give them a try. It can't hurt. And that way, if you lose it, you don't really feel as bad losing, <laughs> you no. know, because I remember there was a I – I was so angry. I think I had two of the Bass Day Sugar Deeps, and they were in like a silvery color, so like a little – you know, because you, you get a lot of the mullet down there, which we use for live bait. I thought, well, that'll do pretty good. And then I caught this goddamn tailor. Oh, man, I'm trying to pull him in, and I'm getting him in, then I get it right up to my legs, and I can got caught, and I go, no, bang, gone. Lost the teeth. Yeah, that, yep. that tailor. I thought, if I get you again, you bastard. <laughs> Bastard, you're, you know, you're going to get fried up on the barbecue. I don't care how bad you taste, you're going to get fried up in butter. There's there's a really expensive lure called an OSP bent minnow, and it's like a really good lure. This strange kind of kind of bent banana looking lure, and it's out of Japan. I think they're like thirty five bucks. They're really expensive, really expensive. Like it hurts when you buy them. And whereas I'd go and buy like you know a bunch of atomic cranks and oh they're on special at the moment for twelve bucks and I'll grab you know four or five. You go in, you buy like two of these things and you're like, oh god, that hurt. And Taylor love them. It's such a pain in the ass. Like you you deliberately try to pull them away from Taylor. And the other problem is they're really good for kingfish as well. You know, my <laughs> my brother-in-law throws the bigger ones at kingfish. I'm like, you're mad. How can you throw lures that expensive at rat kingies around the boats, you know, in, in port hacking? But, yeah, sometimes, you know, that's sometimes you do need to pay the money. A lot of times I don't think you do. All right, guys, we're just going to get a quick break and we'll be right back. Are you looking to buy a new or used firearm? Do you want to sell that safe queen to fund your next purchase? Then go to OzGunSales.com. We have over 200 registered firearms dealers Australia-wide and thousands of shooters using the site daily. There are over 2,500 firearms listed, so you're certain to find exactly what you're looking for. We have over 50 years of firearms industry experience, including eight years online. So why wouldn't you advertise with us? The one and only genuine original Oz Guns. 
All right, mate. To finish off, a couple more questions. You know, you know, you do a lot of their tech department servicing reels, mate. Very good, important people don't look after their gear, especially, you know, in like uh, salt water and stuff like that. So, what do they need to do uh, other than do idiot stuff like me, which is uh, drop them in salt water? Well, obviously, don't drop them. Dropping them in salt water is usually bad. Um, best thing to do if you do drop it in the salt water, like, and it's sat in there for a while. I always tell people, get a bucket of fresh water, dunk it in the fresh water, shake it around, pour the fresh water out, put more fresh water in it, dunk it in again, uh, do the same thing, do that a couple of times. Salt water will rust the hell out of any fishing reel. Doesn't matter whether it's a salt water reel, in inverted commas, or any kind, salt water's bad. So dunk it in fresh water because – like fresh water's, yeah, monumentally better for a fishing reel to have in it. Still not good, but than to have salt water sitting in it. Usually, if you drop it in the salt water, I'd just say, you know, give it a dunk in fresh water, send it in for a service. Like, ring the company that you, like that makes the reel and send it in to get service. Like, it might work for a little while, but eventually the bearings are all going to rust. Um, and you probably end up doing more damage to it if it's an you know if it's a half decent reel it's it's usually definitely worth it because if you just let it go it'd be like oh what can I say you know it'll be like my mate's not changing his boat bearings for about eight years and then when you take your boat out when you're in Malacuta during the fires and you're driving down to the boat ramp and the wheel starts feeling like it's going to fall off I'm like what's that noise and I said have you you changed your bearings like when's the oh we repacked them about eight years ago I said replace them or repack them he said no we repacked them and I said you're an idiot your wheel's about to fall off your goddamn trailer you know <laughs> and then you yeah, God, and then man. you have to fix the entire like then you got to replace axles then you got to oh. replace hubs no sometimes servicing things even though it hurts a little bit and you're like oh damn you know that cost me whatever is better than like destroying the whole thing and having to rebuy it like so, it was no. so it was so bad that like, I, I got the one wheel because, mate, YouTube's your best friend. It was pretty easy to do. But even my mate's there because, you know, you've got the races inside the inside the yeah. hub or whatever. And he says, oh, yeah. no, they look all right. And I go, dude, look at them. <laughs> like, it, it didn't even – even though the, the races, they were bad enough. I said, even me, because I'd never done it before, even on the axle, the, the outer sheath, I guess you'd call it, of the bearing was literally almost welded to the axle. And then I had to call up a mate of mine who's pretty handy, which you know, you know, Arthur. And he said, yep. yeah, you got to knock those off. And I go, oh, that, I thought that was part of the axle. And he goes, nah, he goes, that's the bottom, that's the <laughs> bottom sheath. It, it's literally probably welded itself on either by heat or rust or combination of both. And I said, yeah. this is, I'm in a fire. Now I'm dealing with this because my mate can't do preventative maintenance. Like, you know, it's just, again, guys, if I had one rule here, do your preventative maintenance on your vehicles, your boats, your your fishing reels, your hunting gear. Wipe them down before you put them away. That way, they're hopefully going to give you years of trouble-free service. Oh, look, I'll uh, get off I'm my not, soapbox now. I'll get off my soapbox. Look, I'm with you. I'm not. I see my stuff as tools to get a job done, but you got to look after your tools when you're done with them. Like if I'm out fishing and my kayak is going to you know, it bangs into an oyster rack or something and gets a big scratch on it. I'm not going to cry. If my car gets a scratch from, you know, driving through 
the forest, you know, there's a tight sort of trail and, you know, it, it gets a bit of a scratch. I'm not going to cry. But that doesn't mean don't service your car, don't change the oil. <laughs> you know, things are fishing reels, fishing rods, rifles. They're tools to get a job done, but look after them because it it's going to save you time and money in the end. The other thing I was going to say about fishing reels is if you're not dropping them in, generally just try and keep salt water off them. Um, and when you're done at the end of the day, wind the drag up tight and just like put the hose on a real fine mist and just spray them down like that little bit. And that's it. That's all I've done to mine. And like I don't service my own reels. Like I'll do 10 a day where I work, but none of mine have ever been serviced. Like I might occasionally change a line roller bearing, but that's about it. But that, that little bit of preventive maintenance goes a long way. I've seen $1,000 reels that are six weeks old and they're gone. They're, they're, oh, I, 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 what they I do to them? Dropped them in the water or they just didn't, didn't, didn't wipe them down or didn't get any? I, I don't know. I honestly think like if I had to think how to deliberately do this in that amount of time, I don't know how I would do it. Like uh, <laughs> uh, I'll send you some photos after this, and you'd be like, "What? How did you do that?" Like it, it is amazing, but yeah, just preventive maintenance on all your gear goes a long way, and it usually doesn't take that long. Fishing gear, for instance, I usually just take it straight up in the shower. Like I'll put it like I'm having a shower, and the gear gets a shower, and then it goes, you know, back in its spot, and that, that's it. Same with rifles. When you're done, you know wipe them down with a bit of oil so they don't rust and, you know, clean the barrel. And yeah, yeah. Preventive maintenance is going to save so much time and money. What's the – when you're normally servicing reels, what's the biggest thing you see when they come in? Like what are, what are you normally repairing just so people can maybe, you know, is, is there anything they can do to, to, you know, prevent that from happening other than dropping in the water? What are you generally seeing? Well, I, I spend a lot of time on the phone, like, to stores and to people, and I always try and say that a fishing reel is like a car. Like some things are covered under warranty and some things are just parts that wear. Drag washers and line rollers are probably the things that I do the most, um, but they're a, a wear item. Like you, it's like tyres on a car. You can't just say, oh, I've only had these tyres for seven years and they've done 600,000 kilometres. You're like, well, yeah, they need to be changed. Like, it, and, and line rollers tend to be like that over here, especially in Australia because we use a lot of braided line in salt water and that braided line carries salt water over the line roller. You're going to get salt in there and eventually it's going to, it's going to get a bit rough. It's going to, you know, rust. So we do a lot of those. Um, but other than that, it, it honestly, it goes on how much maintenance has been done. Like I said, I've had, I have my reels that I've had for 10 years and all I've done is change the line rollers and anybody with any fishing gear, I think could do the same thing. Um, but yeah, wash them down when you're done, but line roller bearings, you can learn to do them yourself. Like I don't think you need to, to send them in to, to get done. Yeah. Um, again, I've looked at YouTube, like you I've said, seen a bunch YouTube's of videos. Your friend. Yeah, yep. I've seen a bunch of you. That's pretty easy. But probably the hardest part is probably, you know, finding the part number or finding out which actual bearing you actually need for that particular reel. It depends on what you've got. You can get a set of Vernie, how do you say it, Vernier calipers. Yep. 
Little yep. measures, and they usually measure the inside race, the outside, and the width, and that'll give you like a five by eleven by three bearing. And you yeah, can just okay. find them online, and a lot of websites will just tell you, "Oh, you need this one," you know. But bearings aren't particularly hard to find. Um, you know, they're they're the easy part, but it's wash it before it gets that way. <laughs> it All always right. comes back to that. Best bang for the buck uh, reel, man. What can people, they want to go fishing. Let's go on both edge of the spectrum on the, you know, newbie getting into it versus the, you know, something decent. Uh, you and I have had this conversation before. Like I reckon for the, for the newbie getting into it, there's a Shimano Sedona. Uh, yeah, Sedona. You can get them for like, 80 bucks on special at some of the tackle stores. I think sometimes even less. They're great. You've got one of them, haven't you? Yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I no, might have two of them. You got two, two and a half thousand, I think. No, if you're fishing for trout, brim, whiting, flathead, dewies, it'll cover all of it. If you're going for kingfish, okay, there's something different. But for 80% of people out there getting started, Sedona is fine. Like, that's all you need. If You've been fishing for a bit longer and you've got more money to spend. I don't usually go past the Stratics. I, I don't see a reason uh, to to buy anything more expensive than that. I kind of, I, again, it's similar to rifles. Like, a fi, you know, a $1,500 Hauer is it is a $20,000 one with, like, the metal engraved and, you know, handmade stock and all. Does it? you know, actually shoot that much better than a, you know, how 1500? I don't think so. Like, I think it's much of a muchness, you know, hey, if you've got unlimited funds, go for it. But, you know, if you're looking for something that's going to that's gonna do everything you need to do, oh, Stratix are great, you know. And that's for the light stuff. I do mostly light tackle fishing, same as you. Um, if you're going for kingfish, well, that's probably a slightly different story, but most of the stuff I've talked about, you know, your brim whiting, flathead, jewfish, squid, trout, cod, yellow belly, wherever you are. Yeah, a stratic, I think, is about all you need. Go out and buy two of them instead of buying one, you know, $700 reel. All right, Josh Carpenter joins me here on AHP to have a chat about everything. I think we spent more time uh, talking about the hunting, mate. We are supposed to spend a bit more time talking about the fishing, but uh, we certainly had a lot of fun talking and uh, all tips and tricks, fishing and stuff like that, mate. Thanks for coming on the show, man. I uh, really appreciate it. Thanks, and hopefully we'll be going on a hunt again very soon. It was awesome, and, yeah, I hope to get to see you soon in the flesh. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.